15 Minutes of Fascism, a weekly news analysis and update podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, and this week, just like everybody else, we're still talking about coronavirus. Uh, buckle in. It's going to be like this for the foreseeable future. Uh, we're going to start by talking about the ongoing developing situation in the United States, specifically in California. Talk a little bit about the nature of right-wing organizing in the United States during this crisis. And then finally, we'll talk about what President Trump is doing and how he is developing his political response to the coronavirus outbreak. Covering the lockdown situation in California, uh, which just last night was extended to the entire state as opposed to only the Bay Area, I will be reading from an article which I published in the East Bay Majority Newsletter um, from the East Bay Democratic Socialists of America chapter. The novel coronavirus outbreak spreading across the world is a crisis unlike any seen for decades. Overcoming it will require sacrifice, solidarity, and social unity. The last thing we need is an increase in racial profiling or mass arrests, but that is exactly what is being threatened under the now statewide shelter-in-place order. We need a response to this crisis that does not expand the cultural state and doesn't target our most vulnerable neighbors. As of midnight on March 17th, the seven counties of the San Francisco Bay Area began the most extensive shutdown in the United States in response to the COVID-19 outbreak. And uh, last night, that was extended to the entirety of the state of California. The shelter-in-place order calls on residents to maintain their uh, in place in their homes indefinitely, uh, with only travel to work in essential industries, shopping for vital supplies, and caring for loved ones permitted. Violations of the order are to be enforced by local police and sheriff's departments and are punishable by fines, imprisonment, or both. Uh, specifically, uh, they are punishable by up to $1,000 in fines or and or by six months imprisonment. Here, California joins uh, several other major metropolitan areas and European and East Asian countries in legislating calls to limit human contact in the interests of public safety. Italy, for example, extended a lockdown of its northern provinces uh, to one that includes the entire country. France ordered all businesses close and is permitting residents to leave their homes only if they carry a legally binding document swearing that they are on a necessary errand like purchasing food or medicine. All of these measures are being enforced by the police. There are serious epidemiological reasons to support these drastic steps. Since there is no vaccine and no clear path to treating COVID-19, social distancing, which is limiting the amount of contact that human beings have with one another, um, is our best strategy for combating the growth of infections. It's proven effective during previous global pandemics, such as the 1918-1919 flu pandemic, typically called the Spanish flu, uh, and has been working in China, South Korea, and elsewhere where similar or even stricter measures have been in place for months. Now in a better and more just world, we could wholeheartedly welcome these policies as the best way to protect our friends, families, and communities, but we know that we do not live in that world. Instead, we know that the government bodies enforcing these rules are some of the most corrupt, violent, racist, and otherwise discriminatory in our country. The Alameda County Sheriff's Office, for example, has an extensive history of over-policing people of color and as the origin of the Urban Shield program, uh, it competes with the NYPD and LAPD as the epicenter of police mobilization. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, the Urban Shield program was a series of annual cooperative sort of war games uh, among police departments and sheriff departments around the world. 
Uh, now that this order has been extended to the entirety of the state, it captures also the uh, justifiably infamous Los Angeles Police Department. Granting police and sheriffs the power to stop people in the street, demand to know where they are going, and jail them if they are unsatisfied with the answer represents a massive potential danger to the safety of millions. Now, again, social distancing is necessary in this crisis in order to protect hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people from becoming seriously ill or dying. Uh, however, the history of policing in the United States and specifically the histories of the particular law enforcement bodies tasked with enforcing this measure tell us that we can expect the police to selectively apply these laws to precisely the people who are most vulnerable in this crisis, people of color and the economically precarious, people who are already marginalized even in the best of times. These dangers will be even greater if martial law were introduced in the state of California as has been not threatened or suggested, but raised as a legitimate possibility by Governor Gavin Newsom um, to enforce quarantines and social distancing. We must ensure that these measures don't permanently transform our society for the worst. At the very least, we should demand that the lockdown not be enforceable by jail time, given that our prison and jail systems are already massively overwhelmed and incapable of handling inmates' needs, uh, even in normal circumstances, let alone these that demand social distancing and more than basic sanitation and health and mental health protections. But we really need more than that because the only way to actually overcome and heal from this crisis uh, would be to turn inward in solidarity and cooperation in the face of the pandemic. Social distancing and quarantines are part of that process, along with safe and responsible mutual aid for our neighbors and everyone in, in our communities. Incarceration and our racist police and prison systems, on the other hand, will only exacerbate tensions and divisions in our society at the very moment when we should be most working together. Now, on a structural level, this crisis calls for us to reverse rather than deepen the already deadly inequalities in our society that is in the United States. Governments at the local, state, and federal levels must suspend foreclosures and evictions, extend sick leave and hazard pay to those whose jobs are affected by the crisis, and create a national single-payer healthcare system to give us the tools we need to respond to this crisis and the next one. Now, these demands are unfortunately not necessarily likely to be met anytime soon, uh, but they are precisely the tools that other countries are using to respond to this crisis. The misery and deaths being caused by the COVID-19 outbreak show that our current system is unsustainable and that we need a better world in order to survive this one. We also have reports that the right wing, uh, specifically neo-Nazis in the United States, are treating the coronavirus outbreak as an opportunity to mobilize and develop armed responses um, to get what they want, uh, which is a nationalistic white supremacist, male supremacist society. Uh, there are reports um, specifically mentioned in Vice uh, that several right-wing news letters and message boards have been filled with messages uh, advocating what is called accelerationism. Uh, accelerationism is originally a left-wing idea. Uh, the idea behind it is that you use the conditions of a crisis to accelerate, to um, increase the rate at which a system reaches its breaking point. Um, the right wing is talking about this in this context, meaning that they would use the conditions of the crisis in order to exacerbate the pain that people are experiencing um, as a result of our developing recession or depression, 
and also as a result of the increasing social isolation that people are experiencing under lockdown or coming lockdown. Finally, we have a discussion of what exactly Donald Trump has been doing throughout this period. Now, you can read any number of takedowns or attack pieces on the president anywhere else. I don't intend to provide or reproduce that kind of coverage. Instead, I'm talking about how the president is acting in this crisis and how he is taking it seriously as an opportunity to advance uh, right-wing political thinking. Now, one of the most obvious ways in which he is doing this is by advocating for people to call the novel coronavirus the Chinese virus. Um, he and his supporters advocate this, uh, talking about what they describe as, quote, historical precedent, um, referring to the Spanish flu, uh, that is the 1918-1919 flu pandemic uh, that swept the world uh, following the First World War. Um, unfortunately for them, of course, the Spanish flu did not originate in Spain. Um, it's just that the reporting of it uh, focused on Spain because during and immediately after the First World War, many other countries that experienced massive outbreaks of the pandemic, such as the United States, France, Great Britain, Italy, Germany, etc., had censorship laws because of their participation in the war. Spain was neutral and therefore had much fewer censorship laws, and it was much easier for locals and internationals to report on the issue there. And that's why it's called the Spanish flu. Um, of course, today, most people who are involved in the actual study of diseases or who are virologists, I would refer to it as the 1918-1919 flu. So all that aside, Trump and his supporters are calling it the Chinese virus in an attempt to advance a nationalist xenophobic agenda. Um, we can also see this uh, in the increase in violence against people of East Asian descent, um, given that most people in the United States, unfortunately, and perhaps specifically right-wing people in the United States, uh, do not care to learn to distinguish amongst people of East Asian descent, uh, and therefore assume that all of these people are Chinese or even refer to them as such. Um, we've seen a spike in violence against people who appear to their attackers to uh, descend from people from East Asia. Uh, we also see economic nationalism on the part of Trump, uh, this time in the form of redistribution. Um, you might have been surprised, as many were, by Trump's apparent call for some sort of national income, uh, for some sort of universal basic income, and that was how he framed it. Um, of course, if you look at the that the Republicans have actually made is effectively an early tax break for the middle class, specifically. Uh, people who do not pay enough in taxes to justify, in the Republicans' opinion, uh, any sort of payout receive nothing. Of course, these are the people who need help the most in this context. Uh, these are the people who are potentially losing jobs that are being destroyed by the coming recession or by lockdown orders. Um, these are people who are living paycheck to paycheck, who wouldn't have been able to weather even a moderate crisis, let alone one of this magnitude. Uh, these are disproportionately people of color and people who are economically precarious. Likewise, uh, orders that the Republicans are offering to suspend mortgage payments, obviously, specifically benefit homeowners rather than renters. Um, this both means that it is a targeted class operation and also a geographic one. 
uh, in that mortgage holders are less likely to live in the major cities, which the Republicans can already effectively politically and electorally write off. Now, all of this indicates that the Republicans are willing to veer to what will be perceived as the left on some economic issues. Uh, however, those of you who are familiar with the extreme right or who have been listening to this podcast know that that is not exactly how things work. It is entirely possible for someone to be a nationalist and also believe in the redistribution of wealth, so long as they believe in the redistribution of wealth only to those who they consider to deserve it, uh, which are usually people who are members of a particular ethnic or religious minority, uh, people who follow particular rules, uh, people whose sexualities are ones that uh, that discriminatory, discriminatory person approves of. Um, what we're seeing here is that Trump is signaling that he is interested in, you know, gluing together the coalition that won him the election in 2016. And if you remember from 2016, Trump's rhetoric was, in some senses, surprisingly left or Republican. In some cases, he, so they say, outflanked Hillary Clinton on the left, talking about economic redistribution, uh, attacking billionaires, uh, talking about how the economy and capitalism weren't working for a majority of people. Now, as this crisis develops, as the recession worsens, as more people get sick and as more people die, I think that we can unfortunately expect a lot more of this, um, both state crackdowns on people's behavior in public, uh, violence against people of color and uh, violence in the interests of political motivations uh, on the part of the right wing, and also for Trump to reassemble his nationalist, uh, that is economically nationalist and ideologically nationalist coalition. Uh, I hope that you all stay safe out there. If you haven't already begun preparing, uh, please do so. And uh, I hope you can listen next week. 